0: Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. We're continuing our journey toward loving our neighbors in the way that Jesus loves us. But I think today I want to say that we're at an intersection. Most of us live with the illusion that love just happens. We talk about love as if we're merely victims of a fickle emotion that haphazardly waxes and wanes like the moon's cycles. The truth is that love is a choice that requires commitment and discipline. Two traits that are are at odds with our culture's preoccupation with the selfish pursuit of instant gratification. We want love to be easy and stress free. However, loving others is not easy. It's complicated. We must set aside our selfish impulses, especially when the people that we're trying to love are difficult or even mean. Sometimes it's just easier not to care, so we simply distance ourselves from those who may be hard to love. So, like I say, I think we're at an intersection where we have a choice. Will we default to the ease of withdrawing and retreating from each other, further driving a wedge between us? Or will we do the hard, messy, and painful work of loving others, thereby seizing the opportunities God presents us to heal this broken world? It's tempting, especially in days like these in which we live. To pull back from the world and curse at the darkness. It's kind of like what John the Baptist did when he retreated to the, to the Judean wilderness. He was out there preaching a message of fire and brimstone to anybody who dared to listen. In Nikos Kazantzakis's novel, The Last Temptation of Christ, there's a scene in which Jesus and John the Baptist... Are arguing about their roles in God's plan for saving the world. It says this, John's face is hard, his eyes ablaze. Jesus asks him, isn't love enough? No, John answers with passion born of anger. The tree is rotten. God called me and gave me the axe which I then placed at the roots of the tree. I did my duty, now you do yours. Take the axe and strike. Jesus quietly replies, if I were fire, I would burn. If I were a woodcutter, I would strike. But I am a heart and I love Like John the Baptist, we may want to show up with an axe and cut down everything that we think isn't of God. Instead, though, Jesus is willing to sow seeds of love into people's hearts and to wait for those seeds to take root, to sprout, and to grow into blossoms of love. And when those seeds flourish in our hearts, but also in the hearts of others whom God has planted the seeds in, then our hearts work together in recreating the Garden of Eden. And we usher in the kingdom of God. But apart from love, there is no salvation. There is no Garden of Eden. There is no kingdom of God. And instead... We create a hell for each other. The writer of 1 John understood, much like Jesus in the last temptation, that God and love are inseparable. He said, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. I think what the author of 1 John is trying to help us to see is that when we try to separate God from love, we diminish God, making God less than God is. Therefore, to act unlovingly, to deny love in any way is to deny God. I love the way John Wesley wrote about this in his notes on this passage, in his scripture notes. He said, God is love. This little sentence brought St. John more sweetness, even in the time he was writing it, than the whole world can bring. God is often styled holy, righteous, wise. But not holiness, righteousness, or wisdom in the abstract, as he is said to be love. Intimating that this is his darling, his reigning attribute, the attribute that sheds an amiable glory on all his other perfections. Of course, Wesley and the writer of 1 John are speaking of God's perfect love that draws us to him and then nurtures us and heals our broken spirits and then sets us free from our sin. And this is how we are to love one another, to live in such a way that our lives draw people in so that we can then nurture them with God's love, heal their broken hearts, and together we will both experience freedom from our sins. This is the kind of love that we must make central to our lives. And I think that our passage that Calvin shared just a moment ago gives us some good indication of how to do this. First, we must model our love for others after God's love for us. I've said it before, and I'll say it probably a thousand times more at least. Jesus is the perfect and complete representation of God's love. He came to show us love, but he also came to model how we should love. And again, in 1 John, it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. And to the writer's point, I think that human bodies make God's invisible love visible. Because God knew that we needed a visual representation of love. He sent Jesus to embody perfect love for us. But then, as you and I see and experience this perfect love, then we're called to demonstrate this kind of love to others to flesh it out. Khalil Gibran wrote, When you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather, I am in the heart of God. To embody God's love for others is to help them see the love of God through our love. Wes Granberg Michelson describes it this way, The experience of true faith in the living God is always personal and never individual. He's not saying that it doesn't occur in our individual lives, but he's saying that it does not occur just for us individually. Rather, it is a spiritual journey that connects us intrinsically to the presence of God, whose love yearns to save and transform the world. We are called to be in Christ, which means we share Always imperfectly and always in community with others, we share the call to be the embodiment of God's love in the world. So, not only is God's love made visible through us, but we also need to recognize that God always loves first, regardless of how we respond. It's preemptive. God's love is there for us long before we ever even know we need God's love. Loving first must become our default position too. We love others, even if they don't love us in return, and their love for us is never a precondition for us loving them. One day, a little boy wanted to stay out playing in the yard. It was getting dark, and his father called him inside, but he didn't want to come in. And he began negotiating and bargaining with his father, trying to convince him that he needed to stay out a little bit longer. But his father wouldn't budge, and so finally the little boy said, I hate you. And his father just rather calmly said, Well, son, I love you. And the little boy just got even more fierce. He said, I hate you. And his father said, Son, I love you. And the little boy blurted out, don't say that. And he said that because he knew that there was no way he was going to win against his father's love. And that's true for us too. We may push back against this whole idea of loving, but love wins out. I think it's also important that we recognize that the more loving we are towards others, the more we sense, the more we become aware of God's love for us. When we love others, God's love isn't just made real to them, it's made real to us too. 1 John says, by this we know that we abide in Him, that we live in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. He did this as an act of love. God abides. God lives in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And they abide. They live in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have believed the love that God has for us. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I'm not always as loving as I should be. And at times, if I'm truthful, I'm downright unloving too. But I have to move beyond that. And how do I do that? When I'm open to God's love for me, it instills a sense, a compulsion. Of extending that love to others. I realize that when I'm struggling to love others it's often because I'm struggling to accept God's love for myself. Once I get my mind around how much God loves me I can offer love to others more freely. First John says, love has been perfected among us in this that we know that we have the love of God in us, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world, that abiding, that living in us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, I was very fortunate. I had very loving parents. My father was a strict disciplinarian, but it was always done with love. When I would do something and my father would get angry and I knew discipline was coming, although I didn't feel good about the discipline that was to come, I did not live in fear. My only fear was the fear of disappointing my father. I didn't have to fear for my safety or my well-being. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. My father didn't punish me. He disciplined me, redirected me through love. When we love God and we seek to live in love with others, then fear vanishes from our lives. Where there is love, we have nothing to fear. Therefore, since God loves us, we have nothing to fear. And if we love one another and continue to allow love to be our motivation for everything we do, we have nothing to fear, not even from each other. Now, my third point is possibly the most important, at least for our witness as a church. We need to recognize that love is the proof of our faith. 1 John says that it's impossible to love God and to hate others simultaneously. John wrote, those who say I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. So apart from love, there are no meaningful relationships. We can't be in a meaningful relationship with God if it's based on fear. It must be based on love. We can't be in meaningful relationships with each other unless it is based on love. Love is the source of all meaningful relationships because love is the most potent force in the world. Alice Gray wrote how in 1920, Lewis Laws became the warden at Sing Sing Prison in New York State. A prison at the time that was considered to house some of the worst offenders in the world it was a dangerous place as a warden laws instituted reforms and turned what was described as a hellhole into a model prison for rehabilitating offenders he introduced sports team sports teams educational programs and new methods of discipline based on respect for all persons and the results were miraculous but when He was asked about the transformation, Law said, I owe it all to my wonderful wife, Catherine, who is buried outside the prison walls. Catherine was a young mother with three children when her husband became the warden at Sing Sing. Everybody warned her that she needed to stay away from the prison, but Catherine had other ideas. As I said, he instituted sports activities, and at the first basketball game that took place in the prison, Catherine walked into the gym with her three beautiful children, and she sat in the bleachers among the inmates. And this was her perspective. She said, my husband and I were sent here to take care of these men, and we will take care of them, and I believe they will take care of me. I have nothing to worry about. Catherine learned the names of the prisoners. She even studied their criminal records. She discovered that one convicted murderer was blind, and so she went to see him, and she asked, do you read Braille? And he said, what's Braille? And she learned Braille so that she could teach him. There was another prisoner who was deaf and unable to speak. Catherine learned sign language so that she could communicate with him. Many prisoners thought that Catherine was the incarnation of Jesus Christ because of the spirit that seemed to follow her wherever she went in the prison. Catherine continued working with the prisoners until an automobile accident took her life in 1937. The morning after Catherine died, even before the prisoners knew what happened, The assistant warden said that there was a sense among all the prisoners that there was something wrong, and they were trying to figure out what was wrong, what had happened. When the assistant warden announced Catherine's death, it was like this huge gasp was let out, and and the people immediately began to mourn. And Sing Sing was as quiet as it ever was because the men turned inward. In their grief. The following day her body was lying in state at the warden's house which was about three-quarters of a mile outside the prison gates. Mourners would come and offer their respects at the house. As the assistant warden took his morning walk that day he noticed that a huge crowd of prisoners had gathered there at the main gate. Their eyes were filled with tears as they looked toward the house, the warden's house. And the assistant warden said to the guards, open the gates. And he told the men, you can go, but be back here in two hours. And the men walked that three quarters of a mile to go and stand in line to express their grief over the passing of Catherine. And every single one of them came back. They were different because they had experienced the power of Catherine's love. And it changed their lives forever. You see, love has that kind of power. The problem we face is that we don't trust love to transform the world. And that's why there's a war in Ukraine right now. Because we don't trust love. That's why there was a shooting in Buffalo, New York last night. Because we don't trust that love is enough. And a shooting the night before in Milwaukee. And the reason that we continue to hurt one another and divide one another, it's because we don't trust that love is the way until everybody is willing to give love a chance. We'll never see the full power of love at work. And if by some miracle, we and everybody else finally decides to give love a chance, we'll see what the kingdom of God is really like, because then we'll be living in it. Love is the way. Give love a chance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen, and Amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash FUMC.